Welcome to Heritage Tree, where we talk about heritage care and development for people and organizations. And now to our host, Dr. Dina Michelle Roscoe. There's no greater joy sometimes than refreshing others. My son is amazing at this. He walks out the door and it's like the plants are immediately happy. He goes down the street and he says hi to everybody. And he doesn't just stop there. I'm big on coaching and emotion coaching and attachment parenting and gentle parenting, but I'm also keeping it real with him with integrated learning and some of the skills he needs. So since he could talk and walk, we would walk down to Starbucks. We would visit with people. We would walk down the street and say hi to neighbors, and he would learn the art of conversation. So now he goes and he says, hi, how are you? How are you doing? Hi, my name is Graham. What's your name? <laughs> he says, what you doing today? <laughs> and then he starts telling them about all the things we're doing, at which time I, I remind him, okay, the art of conversation now. If, if they're not wanting to linger, let's say goodbye and have a good day. And so he's, goodbye, have a good day. Little things like that. If you build that in your community, if you build that in your day, every day, sometimes we get inspired or overwhelmed by these grand visions, such as what Proverbs 31 lays out. If you just pick one practical thing to celebrate of what you're doing right and do more of that, and to improve upon, do, do that, commit to doing it once a day, depending on the size of it, once a week. But if you can make something part of your every day. In my Kingdom Come trilogy, I break down the chapters based on the different basic needs, safe love, which I break down as sectors or this idea of the circles. And then the third book is about the healing redemptions of those in the gospel. And a lot of times our time management, we don't organize it necessarily around those things. So in my coaching, I break down those things and we, I talk with the client and we find out what's the area that they want to work on the most. And so we start asking questions around that. And then they come up with some time management, some commit one committed action even to one of those things. For example, say you're wanting to, like me, improve your, your food and your ability to make meals for your family. And I'm still not there yet. There's still things on my list to do to improve that. And by the way, I'm not big on like a lot of this planning thing. It's really hard for me. My personality is more visionary, more, you know, Enneagram four, you know, and all these like, I, I'm a connector, but I love to spend a lot of unstructured time. I don't like my mornings being too structured. So this idea of putting structure to life, I just put off for a long time until it became very clear to me as the coach to be a good coach and to be happier and more even expeditious in my life and reaching the goals and visions that I had that I needed to get more organized around this. So I went and saw a nutritionist for a while that first year postpartum. And then, I, you know, I reorganized my entire pantry and that's been a process because things take longer than you expect. 
And the larger the goal or the project is going to take that much longer than you expect. And so you have to even write it down into one steps each. And what, how many hours, you know, how much money would you anticipate spending on that? Because our budget sometimes seems to dictate our time management and what we can spend and how long we can get the cold resources or the hard resources that we need, the tangible things to bring about this goal. So I wanted to have, I had this value of integration, this value of integrated learning, something I learned postpartum with postpartum counseling and coaching. Um, And it's also something that's very much into systems theory and and healing um, with trauma and trauma-informed care. And so I want to integrate this this value of integration with integrating my son, integrating my core values and visions and things I like in my everyday life. How do you do that? With food, I bought these different containers, these really pretty things to sort of make flow, make more accessible and easy managing the different herbs and the different everyday foods that I had. And then this led to this whole other project that I didn't realize would be related to this concept of food, which was home organization. So now I have this goal to store only what I use, not not what I don't use. So it's taken, well, I've, I've usually been organized anyway, so this was where, where I enjoyed and I spent a lot of time. But with our local Buy Nothing group and with different nonprofits. I was able to do so many massive giftings and donation runs. We sold some things. We ended up deciding we wanted to build our own furniture and make it all look a certain way. Now there's this theme. Now I have this color palette to work with. Back to pantry goals. So now we get the containers and they're matching a certain kind of way. And then when the pandemic stay at home happened, I said, oh, why am I still using storage bins in my pantry closet? This is a shame. And so I got these cute little, you know, copper bat wire baskets and my son and my husband made these. My son and my husband made the, these cute wooden baskets. And then now a year later, you know, I've even updated my tea because I, I love tea. That's a personal hobby. You know, since I was a little girl, I didn't really understand going to the mall unless I could go eat something. <laughs> so my hobbies usually center around some kind of food. And as I've gotten older, you know, I wanted to, to have healthy eating and I've done different protocols, autoimmune, paleo and different things to get my health and energy where I want it to be. And so now I'm at the place where, okay, I've done this. This is nice. It's all now. How do I actually, you know, manage meal making? Let's start with like dinner for my family so that how, let's say at least once a week we eat together at the nice dining table we made. So you see, this actually took way more time than I expected. It's not just the same as saying, I want to eat better. You got to think about your environment, your time, your budget the people you're living with, the different likes and opinions and dislikes that they have, your skills. And also let's take a step back and validate what's good. See, I grew up thinking I wasn't a good cook, but I was always trying to do creative things with food. I was interested in it and I wanted to do the simplest meals possible, the healthiest meals possible, even at a young age. That's something valuable, but it wasn't encouraged. I even wanted a garden. I planted strawberries and 
these gladiolas my friend and I found in a ditch. And, you know, I'm this kid, so I'm doing this in my backyard. But it wasn't encouraged and so kind of withered away until I became a mom. And I was like, now, wait a minute. I grew up with this limiting belief that I'm not good at those things, but I'm actually very interested in them and I'm kind of passionate. So I didn't want to do it the way that it had been put to me that others had done it. There was a different way, for example, with gardening. Well, back to food. I want native plants that can be resilient and not out there tending to them every day. And I also want them to grow food (laughs) so I can eat it. So this idea of improving in an area and also celebrating what you're doing well, it's kind of like, it seems like a teeter-totter almost that you're (laughs) not always in balance in that, but that's okay. So if we take a step back and look at it like a system rather than an either or, then we will reduce the risk of creating errors in our thinking. So back to Proverbs 31 then. You say, what if I've tried all these things and I failed? Well, Habakkuk says, though the stalls be empty, what? We will take glory in who? Ourselves? Our child or how they turned out? Or a husband or wife and how they turned out? (laughs) Compared to when we met them and got married? Or has it been the same? Is that even part of that answer? No, it's about glorifying God. I will still take joy in Him. You see, this connects better to what the Apostle Paul said about marriage, that it's that mystery, that model of our relationship as a church with Christ. And as the church, we're all individuals, different members, but of what? One body. What does that suggest to you? Does my toe breathe for me? Does my heart help me um, eat? Well, I'm sure it does. It keeps me alive, right? There's... Well, analogies break down at some point, but you know, there's, does my pinky sort of do what my leg does? I mean, no, they are all different. And so if we approach this as, oh, you have to do everything in there. Otherwise you're not measuring up. Well, what do we know about what says about measuring up and why is that concept of measuring so important in our society? Is that a godly metaphor or is that from the world? You see, the risk is in preaching Proverbs 31, to be honest, especially if a man is preaching it. I don't know if other women have felt this way. And I think maybe some seasoned pastors already know this. (laughs) Is it comes across a certain kind of way that maybe there's even a conflict of interest that we're trying to direct you as women how to be in this institution of our church and this institution of our marriage. And there's this religious way that you have to be, but we won't hold accountable. Here's the seesaw again, the limitations of that. And what are the limitations that we know it? Remember the friends of Job, when they showed up, they showed up, but then their pristine theology got in the way of their solidarity. What about that wife who's doing all those things, but her husband not walking with the Lord, or vice versa. What if they've had a hard time? They don't have a lot of social support. Church is all they got. So this idea of this whole social world that this Proverbs 31 is supposed to have, and they don't have it. What do we do with the difference between feeling bad, feeling ashamed or guilty, overwhelmed, disenchanted, disengaged, maybe even oppressed in some way if there's abuse or trauma involved. What do we do with that if that seesaw is tilted too much the other way? 
with this model of marriage that we have, this ideal wife. And it can go the same way for speaking of husbands. You know, they're not, men are not, are not treated a certain kind of way in our society. If, for example, as a mom of a son, you know, I want my son to be able to grow up and not have to be used in certain violent or exploitative means that are part of Satan's system alive and well in this world. So what if I've done all these things and I failed? Well, just remember our purpose here is it to be wealthy, prosperous, have a good reputation, have a spouse. How much emphasis are we putting on managing our image as Christians and our contentment with the Lord? That's what it comes down to. Our joy and our love and our yielding to the Lord. And in those places, you know, only prayer and Holy Spirit and accountability. Again, back to the structure of accountability. As a visionary person, I'm really good at strategic visions and creativity and storytelling, coaching and encouragement. But when it comes down to those practical logistics of breaking it down into time-managed, committed action steps, I have to be patient and slow the roll and do that. And that's what Matthew 18, Titus, Jude, all of those places in Scripture that talk about First and Second Timothy and even the Apostle Paul, the Church of Corinth, he says, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? I scarcely judge myself. I don't even judge myself. He's like, I got a, I got a bone to pick with you, y'all. All the stuff that I hear you're doing in the church and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're doing all this crazy stuff. How are people going to know that you're really Christians? And what does it say? They will know we're Christians by our what? Our love. Is not that the whole purpose of our relationship with God? God is love. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And is not love more powerful than the systems of Satan that ostracize, as in 1 John 4, when it says, Perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with judgment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. That suggests to me that there's some underlying wounded spiritual problem that's a little bit bigger than the role of what we would assign to someone in a family system. So as a, you know, ecu minister, as a coach, as a creative minister, a writer, I always want to get to that core sense or that core insight that is transferable that you can take with you. So if you take anything from this message, just know that we're not doing this all alone. We are part of the body of Christ. We're connected to God that this is all about our love for him and his love for us. That I can be a good mom and struggle in some areas. I can be a good wife and struggle in some areas. I can be a good Christian and struggle in some areas. Because guess what? And this is where it gets a little confusing, a little interesting. Scripture says to work our salvation with fear and trembling. Now, wait a minute. I thought you just said that love casts out fear. I think a little bit about that. Well, there's one thing to fear, right? Our God is a consuming fire. (laughs) That's kind of intense. 
the same God that walked with Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which were their Babylonian, not Hebrew names, mind you, but that's what they're written down as. And he walked with them in the fire and they weren't burned. Though I pass through the waters, though you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Though you pass through the fires, they will not burn you. They will not overcome you. We live in a time right now where everything seems so scary and feels overwhelming. So let's try to be a little bit more gracious and gentle with each other and with ourselves. And as a church, let's try to do a little bit better. If we're going to assign a value or a rule or a role for somebody, let's be sure that one, we have the representation and two, the accountability to rise to meet that. Now, what do I mean by that? Oh no, here she goes. She's getting political. No, actually it's in scripture. Matthew 18 again, Titus, even Matthew 7, and back to the fear and trembling piece. You know, people came to Jesus and said, Lord, Lord. He tells this parable to the Pharisees, Lord, Lord, I knew you. I did all this. I followed the rules. I did all this. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. That's the thing to be scared of right there. That is the flip side. That is the underside of this model of love that that perfect love casts out fear. Well, if we are safe in God's love, if we are trusted in Jesus as our Savior, but we are also living that out, we are living that out with our love for Him, and we are working for a standard of excellence to put that to practice every day. So there's this accountability, this time management, these questions and visions around our walk with God and our family, our vocational goals. But all of them must serve this love for God. And that's the check-in piece. That's the check-in piece for Proverbs 31. And then finally, I just want to leave you with that uncertainty, that mystery is actually good. Because why? We're finite. We're mortal. We weren't supposed to be, and that's why it's a struggle. But God knows all things, and He is the only one who is above and knows all things, but He he also loves us. It wasn't enough for him, for Jesus to be the perfect son of God. He also needed to be the son of man. And that's what's qualified him as the empathetic high priest, the priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, this priest who lived a really long time for hundreds and hundreds of years that came out to meet Father Abraham. This is all this progression of this family story of a gospel heritage. So that's what I want to leave you with. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your family story for us, that we are not just trying to do this and struggle this all on our own, that we have you, your Holy Trinity in relationship with each other, your Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Church. May we do better, God, in our connections with those people and places. We have our cities may go well with our cities where we are, so it goes well with us. Will you please guide us in this adversarial and painful um, age of the pandemic and pandemia? Will you help us do better and set the stage better for our children and their children's children? And may we even live to see those. And we just pray for your healing. There are so many Mother, father wounds, there are so many people struggling, Lord, and let them feel loved and cared for in this message and validated. And let those of us who are doing well and in victory, thank you for 
their discipline and their efforts and their, the blessing you put on them and their marriages. Please let them be examples to the rest of us. And please help us all um, grow up together and do better in your standard of excellence that you help us to meet. And even though we might not be able to do it all in our life because that's mortality, would you please, in your grace, bring good out of our lives and our families and our generations for your glory. And we thank you that you don't forsake the generations. You are faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. If you like what you heard, tip us at the link below. And inquire, subscribe, and shop our merchandise label of Heritage Tree and Heritage at dinamichellerosco.com and dogwoodgroup.io. Come back again when we gather around the Heritage Tree.